Good morning. So this is the fourth week of our Plan A series. I'm actually having a hard time seeing you through the smoke. Um, but no, this is the fourth week of our Plan A series, and this is where we take everything that we've been learning these past three weeks, God's heart, that people matter. How are we to love others and pursue others as we worship God? And then who do we love? And so we've been talking all through that, and those were some of the, the major bullet points from our different messages. But the next three weeks, including today, we transition into thinking then, what does love require of me? Because that's the question where we land now. If we know that people matter, that we're supposed to love people, and we know that we're supposed to love everybody, then what does that love look like? And so I'm excited to start this journey with all of you. And as Pastor Daniel preaches next week and Pastor Phil wraps up the series in two weeks, um, this is just going to be absolutely awesome. And so I'm so excited that I get to come here today and, and bring what's been on my heart for what love requires of me. And so this is an essential question because if not, we can totally miss the point of what loving somebody looks like. Because we all have different definitions of love, and we all you know, have these different thoughts of what love might require of me. And so one of the examples is um, me and my wife are married for about 11 months now. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary. So yeah, so excited. Got to brag on her a little bit. Um, but going into marriage, you think you understand what that love and commitment is going to look like. You understand or think you do, you know, all the different things and all, you know, I'll just do the different chores and like everything will be fine and everything will be, you know, just even keel all the time. And that's not the case. And so props to my wife for putting up with me as I've been learning what love requires of me. But as we look at our community as we look at as us as a church, as the body of Christ, what does love require of us? If the kingdom of God is going to come in Blanchester, in Cincinnati, what does love require of me? Because something has to give, and we have to be intentional. And so today, why I love this is we just get to look at what Jesus does. Um, and that's why I love this series so much, is it's not these new thoughts that we came up with and because we're super smart, but we're literally like, well, what did Jesus do? And that's every week we get to come here and talk to you about Jesus and how he lives and his love for you. And so today we're going to be looking at two different stories, um, two different instances where Jesus loves somebody. And so I want you guys, as we're going through this, as we're reading and seeing what Jesus does, be thinking in the back of your mind, what is love requiring of Jesus? What is Jesus doing intentionally in these moments that we need to do in our life? And I think it also needs to be said that we go to Jesus not because he's just this good example or because he was a really good moral person and that's just going to make us better people. But Jesus is the biggest thing for us. It is our foundation it is our blueprint. And so as Christians, as people who are trying to follow God, to know God and love others, we have to follow Jesus. If we don't follow what he does, then we've missed everything. And so this isn't just, you know, a suggestion. This isn't just, you know, something cool that somebody else did, and we should do that because it'll make ourselves look good. But this is the blueprint for our faith as believers. And so the first story that we're going to get into um, is where Jesus 
meets this guy, and his name is, is Jairus, and he has this daughter who's dying. And then Jesus meets another person along the way. And so it's found in Luke 8, 40 through 56. And so again, I'm just going to go ahead and read this, and then we'll, we'll discuss it. So Luke 8, 40 through 56. If you have your Bible or your phone and have your Bible app, you can feel free to follow along. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he only had one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John and James, and the father and mother of the child. All were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called her, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And so in this story, Jesus is the king of being busy. He, he gets there, and immediately there's this huge crowd around him that for all different sorts of reasons, he's been healing people, and so people were bringing people to be healed. You know, he had been teaching people. People wanted to learn from him. And so this huge crowd is pressing in around him. Um, and some translations even say that they were waiting in these lines to talk to him. And this guy named Jairus whether he just totally skipped the line because of how urgent his request was or he waited his time, he comes in and he like interrupts Jesus' time with the crowd. Jesus is already doing something that's really important. You know, he's teaching people in front of a lot of people. You know, he's doing these things, but this guy named Jairus interrupts him. And he comes and he's basically like, listen, my daughter is dying. Can you come and help? And Jesus stops what he's doing, stops his prerogative at the moment, and he goes on his way to Jairus' house. And as he's going, you know, this crowd is still all around him. They're this big group just going all around him and they're pressing in on him. And this woman comes up. And without waiting for her turn in line, she goes and she believes that Jesus will heal her. And so she touches his cloak. And immediately she's healed. And that could have been it. Jesus could have been like, oh, cool, I just healed somebody. You know, I'll check that off my list. But Jesus stops he literally stops there's a dead girl or dying girl waiting for him 
waiting for his healing, but he stops. And he looks around, he's like, who touched me? And Peter's like, come on, Jesus. Like, you're, are you joking right now? Like, everybody's touching you. But he's like, no, something happened here. Something happened in this moment. And he paused. And he looks around. And the woman came forward. And Jesus has this moment where he addresses her. And he says, daughter, you know, you believed and you are now healed. And while he's doing that, while he stopped, the girl dies. Because Jesus didn't get there in time, the girl died. I was talking with Pastor Daniel, and he was like, in today's day and age, that's like, you know, malpractice. You know, like, if they had actually been counting on him, he just let somebody die. Like, how could Jesus do that? And it's this weird instance because Jesus must have seen something more. And what I think is so cool is in the story, we just hear that she had this discharge of blood. And what that really meant in that culture is that she was never going to be clean. She was permanently unclean. For 12 years, she could do nothing with the temple. She could do nothing with worshiping God, with offering sacrifices. Because of her physical condition, she was separated from God. The rest of the Jews would ostracize her not be around her, because if they got too close to her, they would become unclean. And that's why she sneaks up on Jesus, is because she's scared that if she approaches him, he'll just be like, oh, sorry, like, I can't do that. And we know that that's not how Jesus works, but that's how everybody else worked. And so Jesus stops because he sees something happening in the kingdom of God in this woman's life. He notices that because of her faith, she is searching for the healing, spiritual and physical healing that comes with the kingdom of God. And so Jesus allows himself to be interrupted, and he stops. And then Jesus goes on, and the other girl has died, but he goes, and he again takes time, and he pauses, and everybody's kind of laughing at Jesus because Jesus has this faith. He has this ability to see into the future kingdom of God. He sees things that other people don't see. And they like mock him. They're like, are you serious? Like, of course she's dead. But Jesus goes. He says, you know, get up. And the girl comes back to life. And so Jesus is taking time. Why? because he sees something that nobody else sees. He's looking past the physical. He's looking past his responsibilities. He's looking past what people are expecting of him. He's looking past maybe his commitments, and he allows himself to be interrupted for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that's when he brings healing. And that's when he brings that relationship with people is when he takes that time. And so the next story we look at, and, and why I love this, is because kind of the contrast that it brings um, to this past story, even though they're both um, Jesus. And so in Luke 19, 1 through 10, um, this story will probably sound very familiar to a lot of you. Um, and so it goes like this. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich 
and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled and said, He is gone, and to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood, and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And so like I said, I love this story because of the contrast it brings to the last one. Because in the last one, there are these two pretty urgent matters. One way more urgent with the young girl that's dying. And then there's also the girl, or the woman, that it is urgent because she's separated from God. There's this gap, and so Jesus sees into that. But with Zacchaeus, he's rich. He's a tax collector, and so he cheated people. The Jews hated tax collectors um, because they worked for the Romans, and they were basically sellouts. Um, he had gotten rich um, by cheating people out of their taxes. And so there's nothing on the surface that's urgent about Zacchaeus. He has plenty of food. He's not sick. He's not dying. You know, what's the deal? And he's short. And so he, he, <laughs> he climbs up this tree, um, and I'll spare you the expense of singing the song I learned in Sunday school. Um, <laughs> But he climbs up into this tree um, because he wants to see Jesus. He wants to know if Jesus is everything that he's heard about him. He's curious. He's seeking. And so he's up in this tree, but he's not really making any other effort. He's, he's from a distance just looking at Jesus. And Jesus, again, has this crowd around him. Jesus is perpetually just surrounded by crowds, and it's really hard for him to get away from these crowds. And so he's busy. He's teaching again. He's probably healing people. And as he walks by, Jesus again stops. He stops. And Zacchaeus doesn't say anything to him. He's not like, Jesus, Jesus, look at me over here. Like, come and talk to me. Sign my autograph or give me your autograph or something like that. But Jesus stops. And he looks up. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Which, first of all, how cool is it that Jesus already knew Zacchaeus' name? Jesus knew Zacchaeus, and that's how he called him. And so Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree. And Zacchaeus is like, okay, I'm going to come down. And, he, and Jesus says, you know, I'm coming to your house. I must stay at your house. That's a big time commitment. And, and that crowd isn't going to fit in Zacchaeus' house. I don't know how big it was, but crowds are big. And so it's not like Jesus is like, yeah, we're all coming, we're going to have a party, and then I'm going to teach some more. But no, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, knows him, and he says, no, I'm going to have an encounter with you today. Something is going to happen in your life where I take time and I come into your world because the kingdom of God is at hand for you. The kingdom of God is near for you, and Jesus was able to see that. He was able to see how close Zacchaeus was to knowing him. Jesus already knew Zacchaeus, but Zacchaeus didn't know Jesus yet. And so Jesus stopped. 
he even interrupted himself. Nobody else butted in, but he interrupted himself, what he was doing to pursue Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' response is so cool because Jesus doesn't give this long message to him. Jesus doesn't sit down with him, be like, Zacchaeus, you've been cheating people, you've been doing stuff wrong, and you should just feel really guilty about everything that you've done, and so give it back, because that's just the right thing to do. But no, it was after Jesus' pursuit, Zacchaeus is already just like, hey, you know what, I've, I've cheated people, and I'm going to give stuff back. You know what, because that's my heart. And Jesus, seeing Zacchaeus' heart, seeing what the kingdom of God has done in his life, says, salvation has come to you. And that story would not have happened if Jesus had just walked by. Because that would have been convenient for Jesus. It might have even looked better on his, on his resume that he spent more time with crowds and he had a bigger reach in the world. But instead he stopped. He sacrificed what he had at hand, what he was already doing. He was probably in some type of groove, power walking. But he stopped and he looked at Zacchaeus and he called out to him and he pursued him. And so with both of these stories, Jesus is seeing beyond the physical. Jesus is seeing beyond even his responsibilities and his commitments. Jesus is allowing interruptions in his life. And he is sacrificing time. And so when we look at Jesus, what does love require of Jesus? It required his time. It required interruptions. It required his comfort. And so Jesus shows us that love requires time and allows interruptions. And if we cannot be interrupted and do not give time, then we cannot love people. If we are too busy and consumed with our schedules and our time, then how am I ever going to love people? How am I ever going to be able to see the kingdom of God that's at hand in their life if I am so consumed with everything in my schedule? How am I going to see what God wants to be doing in this town of Blanchester if I'm too busy, worried about just what God wants to do in my little world? And so I want to distinguish this a little bit, though, and clarify what I'm not saying. Because I'm not saying that you shouldn't have responsibilities. I'm not saying that you shouldn't honor some time commitments work ethic, you know, I'm not saying you just give up on everything, you clear your schedule and you quit your job and you just say, okay, you know, now I'm doing, I'm doing this thing, I guess, and, and you aren't doing anything in your schedule. I'm not saying, you know, you blow off people and you just quit all your plans and you give up. What I am saying is that Jesus showed us that his priority what was happening in the kingdom of God. His priority was not his own plans. His priority was not his own schedule. And so Jesus did not overlook responsibility. Instead, he looked beyond them into the kingdom of God. He did not overlook his responsibilities, but he looked beyond them into the kingdom of God. And so 
you may be sitting here, you say, well, what about my responsibilities and commitments? How am I supposed to do this? Because right now, I am busy. Especially for parents, I'm not a parent yet, but I, I know a lot of parents. And uh, you guys are busy. You have a lot going on. Even grandparents, you guys are busy. I'm not even a parent, I'm just married and, and I'm busy. <laughs> People are busy. We allow our schedules and our calendars and each day to fill up. We allow so much to come into our lives, so many different commitments, so many things that we've said yes to, to just fill our days to the top. And now for me, I feel good when that happens because I feel busy. I feel a sense of accomplishment when I've had a lot of stuff to do. And so I can look back at a week and even look at all the things that I've done and been like, man, that was a really good week. I was really productive. I got a lot of stuff done. I met all of my responsibilities. I met all of my commitments. I even went a little above and beyond on some stuff, stayed at work a little bit longer. This is great. But then I can also look back at a week and be like, I didn't once look to the kingdom of God in my life that week. I didn't once allow there to be a moment where I was even afforded a chance to look into somebody else's life and be like, what is God doing here? How does God want me to be a part of bringing the kingdom of God into their life? Because that requires time. It's inconvenient. And Jesus himself even acknowledged this. There's this point in time where people are, are coming to him, and it's right after he's sending out some disciples. And all these other people are coming and being like, we want to be your disciple, Jesus. And Jesus is like, listen, it's not going to be easy. And they're like, that's fine. We want to be your disciple. And Jesus is like, okay, come and follow me. And one guy's like, you know, I actually have some stuff at home I might have to do. So can I just do that first and then come and follow you? And Jesus is like, I mean, he says, the son of man doesn't have a place to lay his head. So like, if you want to follow me, then that's what you're going to have to live with. And somebody else it's like, but my, my dad just died. Can I go and bury him? And Jesus sounds like really harsh and really mean. He's like, let the dead bury the dead. And Jesus is communicating here, where are your priorities? Because I know for me, I can keep putting one thing ahead of another that'll keep me from living for the kingdom of God. There are so many things that are urgent in my life that push out that which is actually necessary. There are so many things that come up and they seem so urgent and they're flashy and I have to do them because maybe job performance or just family stuff or whatever it may be, even self-care. And I can hold on to those urgent things and it pushes out what's necessary for the kingdom of God. And so Jesus is saying, where are your priorities? Are you just going to keep making excuses and say, maybe next week? like I've been saying about getting back to working out and, and running. You know, maybe next week. It's not going to happen this week, but maybe next week. You know, this week is just really busy, but I see, you know, in two weeks it's going to slow down. And so thank God I'm going to make some time. I'm going to make some time for the community, for the people around me, you know, in just a little bit. But two weeks comes, and our schedule is filled up. We haven't made time. And so where are our priorities because if we want to love people, and we are truly convinced that people matter, that our neighbors matter, who is my neighbor? Our neighbors matter. 
then we are going to make time to invest in them to see the kingdom of God come closer to them. And that's what love requires. Love requires your time, and it will allow interruptions. Paul, as he's talking to the church at Ephesus, he's talking about their lifestyle. He's talking about all the other things that can come into their life and just distract them and bring them further from God. And he says this in Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Make the most of every opportunity and understand what the Lord's will is. And what is the Lord's will? What is the Lord's will in your life? What does he want to see you do in your life? I believe that there are two aspects to that. One is to know him. One is to know him more, and the other is to love the people that he loves. God's heart is that people matter. And so if the Lord's will is that people matter, how do we make the most of every opportunity? Not just opportunities on Sunday mornings. Not just opportunities on the one other day that maybe you volunteer a little bit of time. But how do we make the most of every opportunity? Because the days are evil. They're fleeting. They come and they go. And before you know it, we're going to be looking back at our life and saying, what do I have to show for it? What actually matters in this life? What's real? What is real in this life? Because I'll be honest, in just a vulnerable moment per week, probably spend like anywhere from five to seven hours watching Netflix. And like, that's not making the most of every opportunity. That is not investing my time bringing the kingdom of God closer to people. And so do I want to look back at my life and be like, wow, I binge watched a lot of Netflix shows and I am proud of it. I have like so much knowledge. I have so much to show when Jesus gets there or I get to heaven. I'm like, Jesus, did you see at, you know, season two of Stranger Things? It was really cool. Like it was so good and you know, geeking out with Jesus about Stranger Things. No, I'm going to look back at those moments where I chose to invest just in myself and be like, why didn't I do something different? Why did I not find somebody to bring the kingdom of God closer to? How are we sacrificing our time for the kingdom of God? And we have to be wise to do that. We have to be discerning. We need the Holy Spirit's power because Jesus is God. And so... I'm not giving him like a, a break or anything, but like he was God. And so, of course, it's going to be easier to see into the kingdom of God when you're God. But I'm not God. So a lot of times it's hard for me to look at a person and see what God is doing in their life. And so we need the wisdom from the Holy Spirit. We need prayer. So the first step is we need to make time in our lives to pray. We need to allow time in our lives to seek God and what he wants to be doing, and then to make extra time to actually go and do it. And you know what? That's a lot of time. That's a lot of effort. 
And so when you do this, you're going to be sacrificing your comfort. You're going to be sacrificing your convenience. You're going to be sacrificing a lot. You may have to stop doing things that you just enjoy because there's not time anymore. But where are our priorities? And as a church, what are we investing into? Are we continually investing into ourselves and within these four walls? Or are we making time as a church, as a body, to go and affect our city, to bring the kingdom of God here in Blanchester? And so I have three application points for you guys. If love requires time and allows interruptions, then we have to do these three things. And the first is that we must believe that our time is a gift from God to be used for the benefit of others in the cause of Christ. If I don't believe that my gift, first and foremost, is a gift, or my time is a gift, then I'm going to think it's mine and I get to do whatever I want with it. I'm going to use it selfishly. I'm not going to use it wisely. And so I have to believe that it is a gift from God for the benefit of others in the cause of Christ. And then I will start to live differently. And so maybe today you're like, okay, that first application point, that's where I'm going to be this week. I need to be convinced that my time is a gift. And that, it is hard to believe. It's hard to live out. It's not an easy truth. It's not something easy that goes along with everything else that we've made our life about because it's a lifestyle change. It's a complete 180 from how I will naturally live my life if I have to believe that time is a gift and it's for others. The second thing is we must create flexibility in our lives to breathe and be malleable to the needs around us. If we don't have flexibility in our lives and our schedules, if everything is booked to the minute on the dot, then how will I ever be able to stop like Jesus did? How will I ever be able to say, you know what, I know this might be urgent, but I'm actually going to stop and reach into this person's life to spend time understanding this person so that way the kingdom of God can come closer to them. If we don't have flexibility, if we don't allow our schedules to just have that breathing room, then it's never going to happen. And so what does your calendar look like? What does your day-to-day -day schedule look like? What things are in there that are just eating up time? Students, you can't say school. You have to go to school. <laughs> what things are just constantly grabbing your attention and not letting go? Because maybe we need to reevaluate those to create flexibility so that way when the opportunity arises, when the Holy Spirit's wisdom says, you know what, Jacob, that person I need you to spend time with them. I need you to take time out of your day that I can go, you know what? Absolutely. Instead of being like, I have like three more meetings today and I have to do all of this and this and this and this and this. How are we creating flexibility in our lives? And the last thing, which I think is one of the most important, is we must see past the physical needs and responsibilities in our lives to look to what God is doing in the kingdom in and around our lives. If I am constantly looking at the surface level, if I'm constantly looking at my responsibilities and just my commitments and my schedule, then I will never in my life see what God is doing. I have to look deeper. 
There has to be something more. And so when I was thinking about this, as, as basic as it seems, I couldn't get over the thought of glasses. Because glasses affect the way you see. I have perfect 20-20 vision, um, not to brag, but. Um, and so I don't need prescription glasses, but for those of you who have glasses, you see the world differently with your glasses. When you don't have them on, maybe stuff is blurry, maybe it's not, I don't know, never had them. But when you put them on, you see clearly, you see in focus. When we put on glasses, even if they're cheap dollar store sunglasses, you see differently. You see past just the physical. And so where are your kingdom of God glasses? Where are they? Maybe you've never had a pair. Maybe you've never even thought about these kingdom of God glasses. But we need to be walking around our entire lives, seeing past the physical needs of Jacob, past the physical needs of ourselves, past the responsibilities, and looking into the kingdom of God. Because a little secret, God is already working. God is already doing things in this community, and are we going to see it? Are we going to give ourselves time to be a part of what God is doing? Or am I just going to live without these glasses, seeing what only I can see, seeing what only I want to see, seeing and doing what only I want to do? Or am I going to sacrifice my time? Because again, time can be an idol. Our time, free time, our schedule, our routine can be an idol. And how can it be an idol? When it keeps us from loving people the way God does. When it keeps us from seeing what God has in our lives and in the lives of people around us, we're making it an idol. We're worshiping that more than we're worshiping God. So how are we going to sacrifice our time? For each and every one of you, that looks different because nobody's schedule is the same. Nobody, you know, lives the exact same life. But maybe, who are people in your life that you can say they need the kingdom of God? How are you this week going to carve out of your schedule to pursue them, to call them by name just like Jesus called Zacchaeus and say, you know what, I've got to come to your house today. Maybe not that creepy, but to say, I've got to spend some time with you. I've got to talk with you. Because the kingdom of God is at hand in their life, and it's a sacrifice of our time to let God do what he does best and bring the kingdom of God to them. And so I just wanted to close with this one thought, that love requires much of your time, and it will cost you your convenience and your comfort. It'll probably cost you your schedule, your calendar. It'll probably make you late a lot of the times. Some of you are like, not a problem for me anyway. I'm already late. <laughs> but the kingdom of God is at hand for so many people. It is so close. Jesus even says, you know, I'm standing at the door and knocking. 
So the kingdom of God is so close. Salvation is close for so many people. This town desperately needs Jesus, and he's doing something. Jesus is up to something in Blanchester. And so when God gives you the opportunities, is your schedule, is your time going to be in a place where you can stop, where you can be interrupted to make an eternal impact? Can you see into eternity of somebody else's life and say, you know what, I know this is like a 15-minute time and it might affect my whole day after this, but their eternity is worth it. I'm going to spend this time investing in them. I'm going to spend this time bringing the kingdom of God just this much closer to their life, even if it costs me two hours of my time today. Is their eternity worth it? Is your time worth bringing people who are far from God close to the kingdom of God? Because that's what your time is capable of. That's what your schedule is capable of, bringing people who are far from God close to the kingdom of God. That's what love requires of you.